0: the Empire of Lies, a bastion of free speech and debate in the vast wasteland that is the Biden administration. I'm Lee Stranahan, investigative journalist, and this is a Backstory. Now is it indeed a Carmine Monday?
1: Not yet, beyond a few minutes.
0: Okay, so we'll have Carmine, right Rod? we okay. But we have you. So hi, how's it going?
1: Good night, We by yourself.
0: I actually feel pretty good because I heard how depressed people were at the end of "By Any Means Necessary, the show the precedes ours. As I say, Sputnik, God bless us, Sputnik has a wide variety of opinions. And I'm proud to be in a station that has "By Any Means Necessary right before the backstory. But I am pretty happy with a lot of the Supreme Court decisions
1: Lately, Rod, what do you think? The, uh, on Friday, I—I I, I guess maybe since George George Floyd died, I never saw so many uh, white liberals using the N word to call Clarence Thomas, and, was, and it just—that was what made me happy because it shows that these people are not your friends. These people would make you an enemy, and if at the drop of the dime. True, I saw Clarence
0: Thomas called the N word many times, and it was not in the sense of what up my right am I correct it was not in the friendly sense of congeniality towards Karen Thomas but I, I've also never seen since the end of my marriage so many
1: screaming women
0: have you seen the women screaming
1: yeah I did see that leave it's just that's embarrassing because it's, it's you know you can still have the procedure done <laughs> I might tell
0: something to those screaming women And I think I'm Rod, right Rod, but check me. Tell me if I'm correct. Ladies, you're never going to get a man that way. Am I
1: correct? No, no, that's a fact, ladies. You could etch that in stone.
0: Yes, because even a pro-choice man doesn't want to hear that. You know, you come home from a hard day's work, or in my case, an easy day sitting in my chair talking, and... But I don't want to hear screaming. No one does. Not even women. Am I right, Rod?
1: Yeah, I got two daughters, Lee, and, you know, uh, I try to tamper that down. You know, obviously they're doing it for fun, not like these ladies who are doing it out of agony of not being able to kill babies.
0: And if you're going to scream, don't go to Instagram. Because did you see the woman drop to her knees? She had a pillow. And she was screaming... And she was on the floor.
1: Cassandra posted that. Did you see that woman? No, Leah. The one I did see that went viral is the woman holding her baby, and she looks like about six, maybe six months pregnant, and she wrote on her belly, not a human yet. Well, the
0: reason I mentioned the woman who dropped to her knees is she also had knee pads on. What does that tell you? It tells you she was planning to drop to her knees. So it's all for show. For the Instagram because why else would she be wearing knee pads? Don't answer that, Rod. Do not answer that. But she had them on so she could drop to her knees dramatically as she screamed. And a lot of this seems put on for show to impress the other screaming women because I'm telling you, ladies, you're never going to get a man that way. Now we have two great guests today, great show. First, the esteemed Scott Ritter, and at the G7 up in the Alps, they're buying a new weapon system for Zelensky in Ukraine. You heard about this weapon system that they're buying, it's brand new.
1: It's a surface-to-air missile from Norway. Yeah, I did hear about it, Lee, and um, Russia's not not, uh, happy about that, but...
0: Right, but... We have just
1: a guy coming on who will know
0: about this Norwegian. I'm. I i did not know Norway made weapons. I guess I'm not shocked, but I didn't know. Did you? Did you know
1: they're a big weapons maker, Norway? Uh, I believe I had heard that in the past, so it wasn't surprising to me. I I'd heard that in the past. So we'll
0: talk about everything going on at G7 and everything. Major military victories for Russia in Ukraine this weekend, correct? You saw that, Severodonetsk, they've taken Severodonetsk.
1: You saw that, right? I did did see that, Lee, and I did see the media comment on it as well.
0: Yes, and even Ukraine's admitting, they said they've done a strategic pullback, which means they ran like they always do but even they're admitting Russians have taken several several key cities and have practically won the Donbass. It's almost over as far as the Donbass goes. So we'll talk about that. Meanwhile, G7, all they can do is basically imply that Vladimir Putin has a small weenie. Did you see that G7 discussion? World leaders, world leaders, discussing Vladimir and man parts?
1: I didn't see that, Lee. That's news to me.
0: I'm not making it up, Rod. I'm not making it up. And speaking speaking of small weenies, because I know you want to, did you see the Pride Parade in Seattle?
1: I did see uh, a bunch of naked men. The the clip I saw was a bunch of naked men, and there was uh, a few children scattered around watching with their parents, I guess.
0: And I definitely saw a, a naked woman done up in body paint, wearing nothing but some body paint. But they had, naked, they had naked people riding around at a pride parade in Seattle. And one of them, did you see the fat guy, fat naked guy at a pride parade? It doesn't matter what parade you're at. At a veterans parade, no one wants to see at any parade at a Christmas parade especially, you know why Rod, because you stick to the seat, right? At any parade, right. have you ever been to a parade where you said, this parade would be better if there were naked fat guys at it? No, I've never,
1: I've never wanted to see that at a parade at all.
0: Right, and especially when with kids, which is really the point of parades. Most parades aren't adults only. Now because it's Carmine Monday, by the way, let me get to this part. Second hour, the great Andrew Arthur. I'm going to be talking about judges in the immigration system. But now because it is a Carmine Monday, Carmine, you happen to walk in during a discussion of naked fat men on bicycles?
2: Uh, it's the first thing I look for in a parade.
0: Now you saw that footage, right, right, Carmine?
2: To the guy in the Bugs Bunny mask,
0: you know, dude. What? Look,
2: there was the guy wearing the the naked guy wearing the Bugs Bunny mask. You didn't no, see that no, particular the video. No, no, in Seattle. Yeah, no, it's the same thing. But there was a naked guy wearing a Bugs Bunny mask. So I mean, the Bugs Bunny mask is for what? For adults? No. I mean, the Bugs Bunny mask is for kids. Look, listen. I would have the same issue, but I have the issue with the parents too, Lee. If you bring your kids to the Mardi Gras Parade,
0: it's on you as a parent. And even the Mardi Gras Parade, maybe some people are throwing beads and they'll see some boobs. But, by the way, I I mentioned this before, the main purpose of boobs is breastfeeding. They're not primarily sexual organs as genitalia are, right? Correct. And there are many societies where boobs aren't considered a big deal. I was in France, and on the subway I saw boobs.
2: Sure, but right. I, I'm in America, and I would not want my kid to see it, right? But the Pride Month, Pride Parade, what is it really, Lee, at the end of the day? It is an exercise in the celebration of sin and debauchery. Pride
0: in and of well, itself. Carmine, Carmine, on that note, say the name of the show, and let's get into it. This is the backstory. And, Carmine, make sure you're talking straight into the phone because you're sounding a little broken up, not emotionally, but just the, your so voice. I'm
2: sorry. Okay. So here's the thing, Lee. And I'll, 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 I'll speakerphone you, man, because I think I sound better on speakerphone. So here's the thing. Pride Month in and of itself is is, is what? Is an exercise in sin and debauchery. It's a celebration. Am I wrong? It's a celebration of sin.
0: It's a celebration of gay rights and freedom. Is it? So, Japan, I I think so. Yes. Let me tell you
2: something. I I sat there. I was a little kid. I'll never forget it. I was younger, and there was a, a gay pride parade. It wasn't Pride Month yet. I was still young. I was like 13, okay? And my mom had this guy that did mortgages for us, for her for her real estate business, and he was this gay man, okay? Collegiate, high school collegiate wrestler. You wouldn't know he was gay if he didn't tell you. You know what I'm saying? There was no signs, okay? And right. the, gay pride parade, the gay pride parade comes on the news. They were just showing clips of it on the news as I'm sitting on the floor, he's sitting on the couch behind me, okay? And I'm thinking to myself, oh, God. I don't want to say anything stupid or awkward to make this guy uncomfortable, but it was disgusting. It was the half-naked, wearing feather boas, that was stupid. And he said a word I can't repeat, and, and I basically expressed to me how much he hated that, and how much that was not about gay anything. He said that's about making a spectacle of yourself because you want to get a reaction. He said that has nothing to do with people fighting for gay rights or anything like that. He said those people want to make a spectacle of themselves, and they want you to get angry at what they're doing. So, I thought about that, but in, in in recent times, of course, Lee. If you're trying, you're saying, "I want society to accept me as I am." Would you do what these people are doing?
0: What dancing on a float with traps on? Yeah, would you do that?
2: Come on, man! You don't see that at the Columbus Day parade. You know what I'm saying? Only see it one place. You're saying you're, you're saying to yourself, "This is me. This is the only thing about me. This is who I am. I'm gay. That's the only thing about my life that's of any note." That's what they're saying. And I get very animated at this because it makes me angry that kids are at these things. I wouldn't send my kids to Mardi Gras. I wouldn't send this. Pride Month is a complete—you may disagree with me. It's fine. I'm a Christian. Pride Month in and of itself is a celebration of sin, okay? I don't ask you to celebrate my sin, but take the gay out of it for a second. If Pride Month was for everybody, a month where we should all be proud of ourselves and just talk about our pride in ourselves, that is a sin in and of itself. That's the bigger sin, actually. In my opinion, that you're celebrating pride. What what does God say about pride in the Bible? You know what I'm saying? So, the celebration of pride in and of itself, never mind co opting God's rainbow to do it, the celebration of pride in and of itself.
0: Let's talk about older kids. Let's talk about if you had a child who's 18 or 21, say they're 21, you've got a 21 year old son or daughter. Would it be cool, in your opinion? If you said to your 21-year-old son or daughter, hey, child of mine, let's go out tonight. I want us to go to a gay bar. Those people are freaky. And we're going to look at them. We're going to stare at them for our amusement. Would that be okay?
2: No, they're or not circus animals. It's very disrespectful. That's weird. That's weird.
0: If, why if the gay bar comes outside and on the street, and marches with a float. Is it okay to take your kids? Let's go stare at the gay people, because that's yeah. essentially what it is, right? Right? True. Very true. The whole thing is weird, and it's weird also because it's become commercial. It's a com- oh, it's it's super commercial. it's another chance of a sale. It's super
2: commercial. Another to put it, another symbol on your Twitter profile and your Facebook page and virtue signal about how great you are for a month. It's, it's my least favorite month of the year.
0: But let me ask this, Carmine. I asked Rod this at the beginning of the show. Are you happy with the recent Supreme Court decisions? It's a pretty good week, isn't it?
2: I I could not be happier. Just one, racking them up, racking up the victories, one after the other. I love it. This is what I've been waiting for my whole life. You know, a lot of people don't realize, Lee, when I was 13, I was in politics. Okay. I've been wanting Roe versus Wade uh, to be overturned for at least 30 years. It was just a dream that we never thought could happen
0: to see it happen,
2: to see it happen the
0: day and, after the second Amendment case. And let me say this, and we don't have the anthem or anything, but picture humming the national anthem behind this. I think it's a victory for democracy. Of course it is. And it gives it to a, the people. It's. And it's a victory for a certain kind of democracy, democracy in a long-term patient, waiting it out. Republicans voted Republican for years and kept voting Republican with the, with their eye on the prize. Yep. Right? And eventually they paid off.
2: And let me say this, Lee, a couple of things I want to say. And I want to say this to your audience, too, because it's very important to me. So, number one, I want to say that, yes, we voted with this in mind and we finally got it. We lived without rioting, without smashing windows. We lived with the Roe versus Wade decision for 57 years. These people were not able to live with it for 57 minutes before they started smashing things and attacking people and businesses and being crazy. Number one. Number two.
0: And calling – and one other thing. And calling for the Supreme Court to be either packed – or overturned, get rid of the Constitution. They hate democracy.
2: The same people who say respect our institutions want to get rid of the Constitution, pack the court, impeach the judges, because they didn't get their way on a vote, but respect our institutions. Um, As long as we get our way, Lee, as long as we get our way, respect our institutions. But if we don't get our way, tear them down. That's number one. Number two, actually. Number three, and I think most importantly, and this is something I really want to explain to your audience, to our audience, and And to people, I've been trying to explain this, we don't get it. How could the Supreme Court, they're hypocrites. In in one decision, they say that the guns are not a state's issue, and then they say that abortion is a state's issue. Well, they're not hypocrites, if you understand the Constitution even a little. Guns, the right to bear arms, are enshrined in the Constitution. This makes it a federal issue. Abortion is not in the Constitution. This makes it a state's issue. It's completely consistent with the Constitution, the Supreme Court for a long time did things because they thought it was the right thing to do or the people wanted it. That's not how the Supreme Court is supposed to work. It's supposed to make unpopular decisions sometimes because the Constitution says so. It's not to be at the whimsy of what the people want. That's not how it works.
0: And I'm also the the specific Roe versus Wade decision. I saw people, you saw people too, crying in the streets saying millions of women are going to die. No, they won't, because this did not make abortion illegal. Abortion is, is still illegal in most of the country, in the big states in the country. And I'm okay with that, personally. I'm personally okay with it being a state's issue. And the reason why I'm okay with it is if someone gets pregnant now, I think they're going to be more thoughtful about what they do. Yes. That's why I think this will make it. And it's not an outright ban on abortion. And I I can live with that. And I'm not seeing pro-life advocates, which I broadly consider myself one. But I don't see pro-life advocates freaking out that it's going to be legal in New York or California. Did you see one pro-life advocate bust a window? over New York or California or New Jersey having legal abortion? As a Christian, no, I did not. As a Christian,
2: I'd love it to be outlawed. But I understand that's not the Constitution and that's not what's going to happen and I have to live with that. And that's between those people who choose to have an abortion and, and the Lord. Not me. It's not my place to pass judgment. Now, that being said, Lee, I think that Something people have to understand is that, yes, this now goes to the states. Yes, now you have to be more careful when you decide who you're going to sleep with and what your plans are if you get pregnant. And I think that's a great thing. Uh, but also, Lee, and I said this on Twitter, and I think you saw it, you might have retweeted it, that never forget this all happened Roe versus Wade got overturned because you challenged a 15-week ban to abortion in Mississippi. Now, you talk about Europe, uh, Billy Joe Armstrong, I'm denouncing my American citizenship. Okay, well, guess what? France has a 14-week ban. on it. You have 14 weeks to get an abortion. After that, it's banned. Most countries have reasonable restrictions. Here's what happened. States like California, New Jersey, New York, that were saying up to the minute of birth, when you went crazy is when we had to push back. It's the same thing, Lee, with gay rights. You took gay rights and you went for, you know, we think gays should get married. And we said, no, we're not really for it, but whatever. No big deal. Doesn't doesn't affect me too. And we're going to take your kids to drag uh, queen strip shows. You push it too far. You make us react. You never can leave well enough alone, progressives. You can never leave well enough alone. And that's why this happened. And they said, yeah, all right, well, you know, we don't like the Mississippi 15-week ban, but we'll have to live with it. This never goes to court. Nothing ever happens. You made this happen. Stop me if I'm
0: wrong. Let's see how an elected Democrat is dealing with this. Let's play the clip of AOC. Here's AOC talking about the future of abortion in America, Carmine. Have a listen.
3: We have many ideas. We have um, some ideas coming from Senator Warren signed a letter along with 25 other uh, Democratic senators asking President Biden to explore uh, opening health care clinics on federal lands in red states uh, in order to help people access the health care and abortion services that they need.
0: Now, what do you think of that federal land, such as Yellowstone Park, becoming an abortion clinic? See a bear, get an abortion. What do you think of that, Carmine?
2: I think that's not going to work, and I think the court will strike that down as well. They said very clearly it's a state issue. They said they said very clearly it's a state issue, so that's not going to work. Also, it's psycho because now if if you put if you put them on federal lands, now you're using tax dollars, using the people's land for abortions. That's where's it going to go? It's going to go back to this same Supreme Court, and you're going to get smacked down again.
0: And the hypocrisy argument that, that some Democrats are making saying, how does this apply to abortion and not guns? Well, I guess what you're saying, Democrats, then, is that you're in favor of the gun decision. But did you hear any Democrats say that? No. If they're being logically consistent and they don't think this uh, Roe v. Wade is a federal decision, then they should be in favor of... This is of course first decision.
2: Hypocrisy No, had it been the other way, both ways. It would, had it been the other way, they wouldn't have called it hypocrisy.
0: You know that. I think the other thing is this now let me challenge one thing you said, and I'll just ask you as a question, Carmine, because it's not much your challenge. But if you had a woman who is going to who's pregnant and was going to not have an abortion, would you rather she chose it? Or would you rather she was compelled it by law?
2: I'd rather she chose it.
0: So that's what I'm saying. The The fact that we still have, a, in, in, in a sense, the a choice all throughout this country. No one is restricted from going to another state. That's not the law. I'm okay with that. But I think now, like you say, people need to start thinking about this stuff. You You point out correctly, Democrats should push us to a point where Democrats aren't. I don't know many people who are really, I really don't. I don't see them. People who are pro-choice but want abortion to be genuinely rare. Do you? Do you see those people? No,
2: not a, no Democrat will even admit that. They will not say it should be rare.
0: So let's take a quick break. We'll talk about this more during the show. And you can call them with your opinion, 202-521-1320, at the top of the hour. But there's a lot of G7 and Ukraine war news, and I want to get to the expert, Scott Ritter. We'll take a short break, Carmine, and when we come back, we'll talk to Scott about what's going on in the Norwegian weapon system. Maybe he can explain that. Okay. Let's take a short break on the backstory. The backstory on a Carmine Monday joined by guest co-host Carmine Savia as we are every Monday a great to have Carmine with us and our next guest you former UN weapons inspector former marine expert on so much stuff that's going on with this Ukraine Russia conflict we're proud to be joined by the great Scott Ritter hey Scott how you doing
4: Doing great, thanks. How are you guys?
0: Great. Doing great. Doing well. Do you want to say hi to Scott, Carmine?
2: How you doing, Scott? Doing great, Carmine. Good to hear you. (laughs) Fantastic, brother.
0: There's a lot going on. The G7 has been meeting somewhere up in the Bavarian Alps, and that's a group of world leaders from the West. Biden's there. Uh, Trudeau was there. Bojo, Macron more schultz from germany etc and even though let's first talk about the russian ukraine conflict this weekend was some significant victories for russia i think what do you think scott
4: no there's no doubt i mean um i think we'll we'll find that these were uh, relatively minor victories um when compared to the victories to come the the Russians have been grinding the Ukrainians down, um, and we're going to see more moments like this where you know you you, you get the culmination of the effort. Uh, you you take the Ukrainians down as as low as they can go; they're compelled to retreat or get surrounded, um, and that's what the Russians are doing. And they're shaping the battlefield to achieve more and more victories of this nature. And as the war progresses. Um, It's just basic military math. The Russians are killing more quality Ukrainian soldiers than the Ukrainians can replace. So even if the Ukrainians mobilize troops, the troops they're sending to the front lines are of a lesser quality. Which means they're going to die more quickly and in greater quantities, and this thing is just going to spiral out of control. They're already in a death spiral. The Ukrainians—they can't get out of this death spiral. There's nothing that can be done to uh, to save them. You can't. You. There's no amount of equipment you can inject. No quality of equipment you can inject. And to inject quality equipment at this time, to give you an example, the commander of Ukrainian special forces. Uh, bragged. that He said, look, at the beginning of this war, my guys were as good as anybody in NATO. And I'm not going to doubt him. Uh, He trained with NATO. They were very high standards. He said, I've lost 80% of my men, 80% of my men. And the people that they're sending me as replacements are young kids with no experience and no training. And yet they're giving me the same mission. So how can I do the same mission with troops that are not capable of this mission? this is a pattern being repeated over and over and over again as the highly trained ukrainian forces that used to exist are dying off they're being replaced with people that don't know how to fight don't have the will to fight and can't operate the equipment that they're being given we keep giving them high-tech equipment and that may work when you have a high-tech savvy soldier but these raw recruits don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to use it. they don't know how to fix it. So we're just throwing you know good money after the bad in Ukraine right now. this This war is going to continue for several months. Ukraine is a big country. There's a lot of Ukrainians left to kill, but they're going to die.
0: And uh, you served in the Marine Corps Scott. I did not. I, I have no military experience. So you described this for Ukrainians as a death spiral. So, speaking of someone who served in uniform, are death spirals bad for
4: morale? You know, one of the, one of the things... I mean, look, let, let's look at the Alamo. All right? They knew they were going to die. But they fought to the death because their sacrifice was buying time for a greater cause. Um, that's not a death spiral. That's, that's, that's called... You know, we did that, in, the Marines did it in Korea. We, you know, we have a company commander stuck his bayonet rifle in the hill and told his guy, my company fights and dies here. We will not retreat. We cannot retreat because if we retreat off this hill, the Chinese cut the road and all other, other Marines die. so The Marines stood on that hill and they died. And they died because that was their job. But it wasn't a death spiral. A death spiral is when you're engaged in a fight and there's no hope whatsoever of victory of resolving this of anything good happening. It's only going to get worse. Every second the fight goes on, it just gets worse. You're not going to get out of it. And that's crushing because that means that you're just going to die and there's no meaning to your death. And for a soldier or a Marine, that's, that's, you know, we're paid to die. I mean, we don't want to, nobody wants to, but if you're told you're going to die on this hill, you die on the damn hill. That's what you that's what you signed up to do, but if you're if you're told you're dying on the hill isn't going to solve anything, it's just you're just going to die. You're not it's not for any cause greater than your death. That's demoralizing, and what happens is you tend to die quicker on the hill because you're not as motivated to fight. Um, soldiers need to have motivation. They need to have you know the, not, you know the discipline, the, the desire, the belief in victory. And this death spiral sucks all of that out. Every Ukrainian going to the front line knows he's going to die in a cause that is unsalvageable.
0: Carmen, do you have any questions for Scott on the military aspect of this before going to G7? No, honestly, I just—I
2: mean, you know, every time I hear people talk about this that have some basis of reality, I agree. I feel like I feel like these Ukrainians, um, and we're helping along that—that that all our help has helped to kill. Tens of thousands of Ukrainians and Russians. Um, but we're prolonging the inevitable. And uh, we're just creating more death. And I think it's horrible.
0: Now, Scott, you, of course, uh, I first got to know you during the run-up to the Iraq War when you talked about your brave whistleblower on the issue of weapons of mass destruction. So let me ask you something in retrospect, about that experience you had. Do you think the U.S. at that point was just lying about women's mass destruction, or do you think they could have known better, but it was a failure of intelligence? And I'm asking that because I have a question for you about our current situation. How is it different from Iraq? So give an opinion on that in retrospect, Scott.
4: Yeah. Let me let me answer it this way. From 1991 to 1997, I ran the intelligence programs around the world. Not ran, but I was deeply involved in all. I I coordinated with CIA, with DIA, with the Mossad, with um, British intelligence, German intelligence, French intelligence, Jordanian intelligence, you name it, Dutch. I was working with them as the senior liaison. What they knew, I knew. I took it into Iraq. I acted on it. I came back. We coordinated. We cooperated. So I was the conduit through which all intelligence in the world about Iraqi weapons of mass destruction went through. That's not a bragging. That's just a statement of fact. So when I resigned in 1998, I could say with absolute certainty what the status of disarmament was based upon absolute knowledge of all available information. When we were getting ready to go to war in 2002, the CIA admitted that once U.N. weapons inspectors left Iraq, they were flying blind and that they had no new intelligence, that they were simply reevaluating the existing intelligence, which I knew everything, because there's no new intelligence. So it's what I already knew through the lens of 9-11. So that means that they panicked. They made stuff up. You, you know, they tried to breathe life. This is where they made up a, a meeting in Prague, Czechoslovakia, with Mohammed Atta in the Czech Republic, you know, who was selling anti. It never happened. And the meeting never occurred. This is an act of desperation. So that's a long way of saying they knew there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq worthy of war. They manufactured a case. If you want to call that an intelligence failure, certainly I call it an absolute lack of integrity.
0: Now, in this current conflict, I've seen some stories in the press lately where basically in the Washington Post, which is like the newsletter for the deep state, intelligence officials were saying they're getting their intelligence from Ukrainian officials and they've been misled. Maybe you've seen that. And what I'm asking you is, It's not hard, I don't think, to figure out what's going on from on the ground in Iraq, in Ukraine. Forgive me. It's not hard to figure out what's going on. Not only is Russia saying it, but Ukraine saying it. But the military officials, they keep doing things that seem like they have no clue about what's going on. So, do you think this is dishonesty, or? Any kind of intelligence failure? Do you have any estimate now what's going on?
4: It's 100% dishonesty, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Because we've been working with Ukrainians hip to hip since 2015. And um, the New York Times just released a, a story which I had been alluding to. I didn't really want to go out with it, but, you know, I knew what was going on <clears throat> That that says, you know, special forces commandos from joint special operations commander are on the ground in ukraine and their primary job is to facilitate the transfer of weaponry so they create the safe houses the safe routes and they're working with the intelligence picture provided by nato and the united states to know you know where the what the russian capabilities are where russia can strike so they pick
0: yeah And, and Scott, you're referring to a shaman right correct during what the shaman it's called the, sh- the shaman battalion or something the group you're we talking about i saw that story but anyway go on scott
4: and the other thing they're doing is they're providing the ukrainians with um these targeting tablets that we used in iraq and in syria where special forces gave them to the iraqi forces the syrian forces uh to uh, bring intelligence to the battlefield to help bring targets the bottom line is um We have absolute knowledge of the battlefield, absolute knowledge of the battlefield. We know everything there is to know. We're with them 100 percent of the way. We plan their operations. We do their logistics for them. Um, So to sit there and say we're being deceived by the Ukrainians is just a bald faced lie. And I would tell that to the general to his face on national TV because he's lying through his teeth in an effort to create a, a buffer between the impending failure on the ground in Ukraine and the role the U.S. is playing in this failure. See, we we have to now start to create distance and say, oh, well, we're not totally involved in this. This is their fault, as opposed to saying we made them lose because we've been giving them the intelligence, because we've been directing the battle.
0: Now, Scott, despite that, and despite the victories as soon recently as this weekend, that were all over the news, including in the Western media, the G7, they said, they said, we're we have an unlimited commitment. We're sticking with Ukraine. That seems insane to me. And they're sending this Norwegian surface air missile system. We'll talk about that in a second. But what do you think of that commitment by the G7 countries—an unwavering commitment to Ukraine? To Ukraine, it seems nuts to me. Things aren't working, and they're doubling or infiniting down on it. What do you think of that, Scott?
4: I I always laugh when I hear the G seven making a commitment that's financial in nature, because I wonder how solid any of their economies are going to be in a month, um, or two months. What are they going to do come winter when their economy shut down, like their country shut down, uh, because of no energy. Um, so, you know, that's the one thing, but the, the thing is they've boxed themselves into a corner. They've, they've, sold the notion of Ukraine having a chance to win the war, it's now clear to everybody involved that Ukraine cannot win the war. But instead of doing what you normally do in a situation like this, if this was, uh, you know, business investment, the investors would just simply take their loss and run. Just pull out and, um, you know, you leave a little bit of money to uh, to pay a caretaker to shut it down. Uh, but <laughs> that's it. It's over. Um, well, they're not going to do that because they've Remember, these are the same people that promised Afghanistan a better life. And look where that got where, where that went. So this would be the second time around that they've made a promise and they can't deliver. And it, that's sort of a fatal blow to an organization like NATO and the G7 and things of that nature. So they're going to continue the lie. They're going to continue to throw this money out there and they're going to seek to try and. You'll find somebody to blame other than themselves, uh, and that's what they're in right now. They're basically using money to buy time so they can spend this. What they're really hoping for is that Russia will give them a diplomatic off-ramp by you know negotiating a deal that saves face for people. I don't think Russia's in the face-saving mode, uh, especially not for Europe. So this is, this is, as you said, suicidal, it's lunacy. It's insanity, but hey, it's the G7. What do you expect?
0: Well, a smile and a photo op. That's what I expect. And they got that. Everyone sitting around with thumbs up, smiling at the camera. Now, I have a question about Zelensky went and he asked for, and the U.S. said they're going to buy this Norwegian service-to-air missile system. So you can talk about how good it is, and I assume it's good. I assume it's got power steering and clear coat and everything that comes with it, a top flight service to air missile system. But here's a question I have. How important is service air missiles in general at this stage in the fight in Ukraine? It does not seem like Russia's winning primarily because of an air battle. It seems the artillery. So how important is any, even a great top of the line Service air missile system.
4: This is this is the this is the system, the NSAMS, it's called uh uh US and Norway Norway developed it. And it it, it, it protects the US capital system, highly classified system. You're not supposed to know anything about it, which is why it's pretty stupid to send it to Ukraine, but that's just me speaking. Um but the here here's the thing. Russia has said recently that because of some of the decisions Ukraine has made they are now going to start taking out what they call decision-making centers. Russia's given Ukraine a free ride, given Zelensky a free ride, the parliament a free ride, the, the defense ministry a free ride. All these people get to meet in Kiev and they're not dying because Russia's not targeting them. Russia has pretty much said the gloves are coming off. We're going to start targeting decision-making centers because you keep bringing in these weapons. And as a result, um, you know, Zelensky could be going down. So that's where this comes in. This system is designed to protect national leadership. Um, and that, and that's their goal and that's their objective. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a step up from the current air defense. It's not as good as other air defense could be. It's not designed this is an air defense system that's designed to take on, you know, a rogue airliner, a rogue helicopter, a rogue, you know, uh, single engine airplane it's not designed to take on the russian air force or russian missiles so it's just stupidity this is another one of those really lame political moves made where they're doing something that looks good on paper but at the end of the day it won't work it won't achieve what they want and um you know the russians will just continue to defeat it
0: now russia also took out a one command post recently and they killed fifty. They said fifty officers and generals. And they used the caliber. Uh, I, I think I'm pronouncing it right, but the caliber system, and that's the equivalent of the tomahawk. Is that
4: right? No, it's 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 it's, it's similar to, but it's um, it, it's it, it's better than the tomahawk. Uh, it's a newer system. Um, you know, it has better. Uh, avionics, better speed, better guidance. Um, but I guess if you wanted a rough analogy, that would be it. Uh, it it's it's a good weapon. Uh, it's not their best weapon, but it's a good weapon. And they
0: pointed out that they took it, and and that's a uh, a sea launched missile, correct? Generally,
4: to be sea launched, yes,
0: yes. And that's and Russia made an announcement about that attack on a command post and made an announcement. That's the way I know it they use the, the caliber. Do you think that they, that they announced that? was that sending a message? It seems very obvious to me that Russia is sending a message to Ukraine and and NATO we're starting to take out command posts and we're using the serious weapons.
4: is you did you say it that way Scott? Yeah, I think. I mean, again, I don't know the whole targeting cycle that went on here. If this was a one of, or if Russia has throughout the campaign uh, been able to identify these these uh, meeting places but let them alone because you know if you if you kill the senior leadership, um, you eliminate the ability of decision makers to bring this war to an end. Um, you know, but I. I they made it clear that they targeted and they killed them, and I think that's a uh, we can repeat this anytime we want to uh, message.
0: What, what impact do you think the lace, their announcements? That and you saw G seven leaders were, were literally, literally making fun of Vladimir Putin's manhood. You saw that video, right?
4: Yep, it was uh, embarrassing for them.
0: Yes, and it it doesn't put the fear of anything in Russia, so. Russia, it seems to me, is just doing its job, and it's been called a grinding. Would you agree with the adjective grinding to use the Russian victory?
4: Well, I mean, it, it, it's more sophisticated than that. But, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, this is, uh, this is brutal work. This is, this is the guy with the jackhammer that's got to take the concrete out. I mean, there's no pretty way of doing it. You, you just get out there and you blast the, the, the concrete with the jackhammer.
0: And then meanwhile, announced the G7 economic moves. They're going to stop allowing the export of Russian gold. That's a weird one to me. If I said to Scott, I'm not going to let you send your gold out, you have to keep your gold, that seems like it's okay to me.
4: I mean, first of all, Russia's been um, hoarding its gold, not selling its gold. Um, that's one of the reasons why they have you know, no debt and, um, and, and things of that nature. Um, the, the, the other thing is, uh, Russia can sell its gold to other people. <laughs> it's not like the United States and the G seven, uh, have a corner on the gold market. Um, so it, it just shows you the impotence of these people. Um, literally, uh, the, you know, they want it they, they 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 talk about being as tough as putin and yet they make a joke out of themselves they'll never be as tough as putin and then they, they you know they they want to you know sanction russian gold that's like sanctioning russian energy you want to know how stupid these people are these are truly the dumbest people in the world they 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 say we can't buy russian energy so russia sells all the energy it can to india india then turns around and sells it back to Europe at a marked up price and Europe buys it. Um, so basically, they're getting Russian oil, but they're paying two times the price because they're
0: stupid. Now, now Scott and, and Carmine, you can take this one, too. What do you think, Scott, if anything, it's going to take for some of these layers to learn a uh, lesson? They don't seem to be learning it by the fact that the sanctions have backfired and aren't working. The news reports admit nothing. The G seven countries have done have stopped Russia, and nothing's about to stop Russia. Do you think? Do you, Do you see anything that's going to teach a lesson? Losing elections doesn't seem because uh, I don't see like we talked about it with Ian Schilling in England. Bojo, I don't think Bojo, if this were a normal period where you had opposition in Great Britain, Bojo would be gone already. But the fact is, there's no one to replace him. So what do you think it's going to take for these G7 countries to learn a lesson,
4: Scott? Um, uh, Look, it's it's going to happen... In the short term and in the long term, um, the short term is there's going to be uh, electoral ramifications um, come um, come come the fall, come the winter when their economies collapse and the people are truly suffering. I, I think you're going to see a lot of recall elections and a lot of prime ministers um, no longer in office. And then the long term. I mean, you know, right before the G7 meeting, there was a meeting of the BRICS group, uh, which is quickly becoming the BRICS BRICSIA, meaning, um, you know, it, it's going to be Brazil, Russia, India, uh, China, South Africa, Iran, Argentina. Other nations are starting to join up. But one of the things that they uh, talked about was creating a reserve currency, uh, an equivalent to replace the dollar. Um, and when you have economies of this... Um, you know, the Chinese economy, the Indian economy, the Russian economy uh, saying, yeah, we're going to come together. We're going to pool our resources and we're going to create this um, this this equivalency of a reserve currency so that, you know, we can do business without having to touch the dollar. And once you don't touch the dollar, then the U.S. can't sanction you. Um, so I think in the long term, there's going to be these these ramifications, too, is the G7 literally becomes irrelevant, totally Relevant. They can meet. They can take off their jackets. They can make all the jokes they want. Nobody will care because they don't matter anymore.
0: And Scott, if you were to prognosticate and make a prediction about when Russia will have taken the entire region, is it a few weeks away?
4: Oh no, no. The Russians have made it clear. Uh, Denis Pushilin, who's the president of the Donetsk People's Republic, uh, you know, gave a very uh, informative briefing in St. Petersburg last week, uh, and he said, look, this, this is going to end sometime by the end of the year, which means months. Um, you know, Russia's got a lot of work left to do. It doesn't just end in Liberty Donbass. They're going to, I believe, take Odessa. I believe they're going to, uh, they, they still have to uh, destroy the Ukrainian army. Um, and they have to achieve political victory over the Ukrainian government, which means that Zelensky has to go, a new government has to come in and change its constitution fundamentally uh, based upon, um, you know, the provisions that Russia will dictate to them. So there's, there's a lot of work left to do. Um, unfortunately, there's going to be tens of billions of U.S. taxpayer money being wasted, and there's going to be tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of uh, Ukrainians who are going to die.
0: And Scott, great appearance as always. You know your stuff, and you bring it every time we come on. We're honored to have Scott Ritter on the show with us. Let's take a short break, and then Carmine and I will discuss some of the political ramifications. And does the U.S. and Ukraine deserve to lose? And I'll talk about that coming up with Carmine Sabia on The Backstory. The Backstory. of lies this is a show that brings you the truth behind the headlines i'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, joined by carmine Sapia as our special guest host on a carmine monday this is the backstory always an amazing appearance by scott ritter thanks again to scott what do you think carmine he nailed a lot of things. I mean, uh, you know, for me, I think he he really
2: highlighted the chances that we're taking here. you know, especially financially, if if the reserve currency stops being the dollar, we're we're headed for the
0: Great Depression. And joining us this hour from the Center for Immigration Studies, the great Immigration Realism think Tank, Andrew Arthur. And I, I put put these two issues actually I put them together under one bundle. Come on, say the name of the show and we'll talk about that.
1: This is
0: the backstory. That was damn good. <laughs> so come on, I, I don't wanna sound I don't wanna sound harsh, but I think the United States is headed for I'm not saying that people deserve it. The United States is head for disasters in Ukraine to do with the economy and to do with immigration that the current leadership of the United States deserves. And I hate well, to say problem, that because they are sure, going to be pr- disasters. No, Carmen, proud, what are you saying?
2: I'm a proud American. I want my country to always win. But they're making bad choices. They're making bad choices, and it's unfortunately, it's going to affect us all. People don't realize it. People turn a blind eye to it. They go about their day-to-day lives. It frustrates me because I have friends, you know, and I see them, and they just don't have a care in the world. They have no idea of the anvil hanging over their head that's about to fall. They have no idea, and I'm sad about that.
0: And do you agree that immigration is another one of those sort of Democles hanging over our heads that Absolutely. is and they're not dealing with it they're anti dealing with it and people have been warning about it for years and i got to say when half the country more or less a little less probably responds we have an immigration crisis and they respond you're racist yep do do those people deserve to be y- y- saved you know what i'm saying they're gonna have their jobs, their economy destroyed, but I think they kind of deserve it. Do you want know am getting at?
2: I mean, Lee, I don't, I don't disagree, but the problem is, is that it's gonna affect me and you with them.
0: Well, uh, the saving grace is, I think, affecting us a little less. I've tried for for decades to have the kind of job that will not be affected by the economy no. and the problems that Democrats are putting in. Same here. And, same here,
2: but when I think you I say us, I think people like us who, yeah, we're in a little different position. We're probably not going to be affected at all, but, but the people who think like us, but don't have jobs like us, they're going to be affected a little differently. And I feel well, sorry for get, them.
0: They should get on it because it's the same thing with my kids. My kids who are older, I raise them and homeschool them. I raise them to think differently about, you know, for instance, I never put an emphasis on a degree. Because I don't think a degree is necessary to succeed in most jobs that are worth a damn. I agree. Right? And you see what I'm saying? So if people I have no
2: degree. Are st- I have, I have no degree,
0: right, and and it makes you smarter, doesn't it? Well, it
2: means I don't have to lean on something to tell people, look, I'm smart. I got this degree, which I see a lot of people that I know are, are well, of course I'm smart. Look at all these degrees I have. Maybe you're you're a moron when I talk to you. You know what I mean? So, yeah.
0: And then they complain about their
2: student debt. The long, exactly, and the longer you're in college and stuff like that, the more I start to realize you can't think critically. And I see this with people I know. They, they can't think outside of the rule book and the lines that are on the paper. and they, Their minds can't think outside of that. They've been taught to conform to what they've been told is the truth and the facts, and they don't look beyond that. And if you shake their world by telling them stuff that's beyond that, it scares them, and they actually get angry with you. So I don't even bother anymore trying to tell people is, when disaster hits them, it's going to hit them. And I stopped, I've stopped warning a lot of my family I stopped warning a lot of my friends because what am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a wall. So they'll see it when they see it. I warned them about a lot of things in the past that have happened. They didn't want to hear it. And they go, why didn't you tell us? I, didn't tell you, I, I did tell you. You weren't listening.
0: Right. The, the best thing you can do in the economy and in the future is have an independent mind. That's the best yes. thing you can do. Do you agree, Carmine?
2: hundred percent, bro. It's a necessity.
0: 202 1320 Ingrid in D.C., What is on your mind? Thanks for the call.
5: Thank you. A couple of things. Uh, It's interesting. I guess I heard Scott say he did think it was an intelligence failure about Iraq. And that was kind of funny because um, there's a man named Paul Pillar, Paul R. Pillar with two L's, and he wrote a book in two thousand eleven called Intelligence and Foreign Policy. He's a he was a longtime CIA veteran and I went to his talk that he gave at Brookings, a semi private talk. I was sitting across from him. He was literally spitting mad over the fact that he as an analyst at CIA and his colleagues had provided information that there was no proof of WMDs and political appointees had overruled them. So he now is teaching at Georgetown. He he probably would have interesting views on what's going on now as well. And uh, on the abortion thing, um, true—well, I don't know what's true. I I don't know about breaking windows, but the— Pro-life people have, some of them have actually killed people, a little worse than
0: breaking windows. Well, not the pro-life people. There's no evidence of a gang. There's an individual person who killed someone who no one watched. Watch this. Guess what Carmine's going to say when I ask him if he's in favor of that. Go ahead, guess. But there's no gang. There's no group. And these people operating groups.
2: It's a horrible thing. Nobody yeah. should kill anybody. If you're pro if you're pro-life, killing somebody is antithetical to what you do. But here's what happens. And I'm being honest with you one or two people who are pro-life, maybe three, have killed somebody in the pursuit of the pro life movement in the past. There are millions of pro life people. What there are not, what there are not are mobs of pro life people. Smashing the windows at abortion clinics, pulling people out of their cars and beating them. That's what I'm seeing. People smashing windshields with baseball bats. You don't see pro life people doing that. Do you get a lone wolf nut job? Yeah, the same way somebody who watched Rachel Maddow and supported Bernie Sanders shot a bunch of congressmen on a baseball field. It doesn't represent everybody who watches Rachel Maddow. But more and more, Antifa is representative of the rhetoric. From Maxine Waters, from AOC, from Kamala Harris, from senile Joe Biden, and these people from who Jen are basically Tory, from Jen Psaki, from uh, from from Merrick Garland, who are basically saying we're going to flout the law. They are representing. They are the foot soldiers of people who are giving the orders. You talk about Donald Trump inciting insurrection. These people are inciting insurrection. Right now, I have never seen a Democrat president in my lifetime get a decision from the Supreme Court that they didn't like and say, well, we got to abide by it. I've never seen it. They're always going to fight. They're going to fight. They're going to do this. They're going to take to the streets. They're gonna All the time. They never just say, Republicans are like, oh, well, we got beat. What are we going to do? And so that's the difference. The difference is that you took a, a, an individual crazy person versus a group of people on essentially the, the marching orders of the people in power is a huge difference. I respect what you're saying because there are there have been bad people that have done terrible things. I respect what you're saying, but it's not the same.
5: And you read- I, I, I'll say one thing. The Democrats have never done anything about solidifying, uh, you know, um, what do you call it? The-
2: Roe v. Wade codifying it.
5: Yeah, and so this whole idea that stirring this up and and bringing people out and uh, preventing a red wave in in the election, this is a, a false hope because if you elect Democrats, there's nothing to say they're going to do anything for the the pro-choice people anyway because they never have. But going back to the the um, WMD. You can't blame that. Uh, I mean, the, the, the thing about the Paul Pillar thing, the, the gist of it was, why bother to have intelligence community if you're not even going to pay any attention to it? And that was the Bush administration that did that.
0: Yes, and and you certainly won't hear me defend any Bush administration. But uh, it sounds like an interesting talk. And it was a topic I wanted to bring with Scott at some point, it's hard to tell whether people are lying or intentionally clueless. And it uh, uh, they, they become very hard to differentiate sometimes. Do you agree, Carmine?
2: Yes. Yes, sir. Super tough to tell the difference sometimes.
0: 202-521-1320. Owl killer. What is on your ever-loving owl killer mind?
3: My man, Carmine. Not dignify even the comparison of you, you. You know you can't say you under you get where somebody's coming from because pro life people just don't act like that. One nutcase. that That's not that's not even close to a. And it wouldn't even surprise right. me if that that person was a plant. I'm not. I'm, I'm not even. I'm not lying at, at this point because pro life people don't behave like that. But as a as a collective group, the left and more so the the communist left do whatever they want and. Talk about breaking! If you if you set if you set arson, you should be shot because you, that yes. person can kill people. You're not even trying to. You could set a, a fire in one building and end up killing people because it, the fire ends up burning other buildings down. Like that's not acceptable Correct. behavior in any civil society. And that was that was cheered on for two years. Uh, um, if Republicans have any teeth, anybody that. Does any type of vandalism like that you start setting fires Start. you should get a hundred years some state uh, district att- or some state attorney attorney general to give somebody a hundred years and that will stop uh, that that will stop you, if you burn if you burn buildings down, you should get a hundred years in jail if you don't get shot um, that, that that you could, when you're when you're playing with people's lives and their livelihood that that what went on for two years is not acceptable it, in a in any form of, uh, if you want to call it democracy or republic, that's not acceptable. But I, I find it really weird how Ingrid is right. Why didn't they, if they believe this, it's the same thing with immigration. If you believe this, when you have the House and the Senate, why don't you codify it? Because it's a political football issue they use to get both sides fighting with each other. You're not going to pay attention to gas price. I, I think they may have overplayed their hand, but this is to distract you from gas prices, from food prices, from world war. That That's, that's what, that's what this Roe versus Wade decision was right now. And I'm totally, I'm totally pro-life, but I just look at the timing of it. And, you know, Carmine, you're absolutely right. Um, the rhetoric so you, you know, it, it's absolutely—it's the left's rhetoric. Let, let's the—do you remember the person that drove over the over the people in uh, Wisconsin? Yes. Remember the one that nobody talks about anymore? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, but, you, but no, it, this ties into Buffalo. Do you, do you know why he said he did it? Because Kyle Rittenhouse was a white supremacist who killed black people. And do you know why yeah. white supremacist shot the people up in Buffalo? Do you know what he carved in, either onto the bullets or onto his uh, AR-15. You know what he carved in, the names of all the victims what? from the from uh, from Wisconsin. So the fake news and the fake news rhetoric actually contributed to to to, uh, to I don't even know how many. I I think six people died and thirty-eight people were run over. And how many people died up in the Buffalo shooting? The rhetoric from the left caused that. Absolutely, absolutely.
2: Um, they are the ones with the violent rhetoric, and they blame us.
0: And you still see people who think, obviously, that person did. Kyle Rittenhouse killed no black people, right? Let's be clear on that, no. right? Right,
3: one yeah, hundred correct. But
2: people believe he did because they're stupid.
3: It's like no, or because they're inside of, or because they're lied to. They, they were lied to, and there's no ramifications for for the hate that they fermented. It's two totally different. Two totally different uh, sides: a black supremacist and a white supremacist. Two totally different sides of the issue. Both acted because of a lie, because of a lie pushed by the left. There's no ramifications for that.
0: And you what do you think those ramifications should be, Al Keller? I to get to you
3: for one second, but take it away. If you're if you knowingly lie, because I believe they did. If you knowingly lie, I maybe they're. Like, I, I'm very—I I think I'm very scared of—I don't want journalists scared that they can't do their job. If you make an honest mistake, you made an honest mistake. But if you knowingly lie—like, they're knowingly lying about police dying inside of the uh, January 6th. H- how many times have you heard that five or six police officers died? They're knowingly lying yep. about this. And they're causing chaos in, in, in the country. If you know what you're doing— there should be i i don't i don't want to say I, like i said i don't want to see journalists scared to do their job if they make a mistake but if you there should be some type of legal action if you knowingly provide information especially if it leads to somebody doing something crazy like we've been seeing
0: and Al you know that's why i'm
2: assuming of, of- you, you know what i think is also hilarious Al killer the people shouting the loudest that women's rights are being taken away couldn't define a woman a month ago
3: of course Look, hey, have you heard? Have you seen some of the infowars coverage of this? I mean, the, these are literal. There was an abortion doctor about five years ago. I, I believe he got fired and ended up killing himself. Where he's like, "I want to kill kids. I, I love killing babies." That yeah. voice. And there's another voice over the weekend. It's it, it's probably the same demon. I'm saying it facetiously, but almost not.
2: No, no, you're right. You're right. It's
3: individuals. These are sick people.
2: How could you do that for a living and not be a psychopath?
3: I, I mean you you I, I don't you don't want to think people are but like look who has showed up. Look who has come out. These are like look how degenerate they look.
2: Look how un- Did you see the ones the ones twerking? I mean these are these are the dregs of
3: society. Yes, they are. They're degenerate and they want to make other they're unhappy with themselves and they want to make other people unhappy.
0: Nailed it, bro. Great call as usual, Al Keller. Thanks
2: Love so much.
6: Two oh
0: two, five two one Thirteen twenty, take it, Sharif. You're on the air.
6: Thank y'all. Um, thank y'all for taking my call. First, I'd like to say, free drilling signs. I got full comments. My well, first comment is this: the ruble is now at fifty-three to the dollar. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Second comment is that on um, the hacker, a uh, Russian hacker group is attacking New Iranian websites. The country is having uh, um, um, problems with the shanks being down in Ukraine because of the uh, killing blockade. Second comment is this, it looked like some investigators in Maripool found out 10 mercen- uh, foreign mercenaries was killed by the Azov Battalion, and these 10 mercenaries they didn't do a good job, of, excuse me, the Azov Battalion didn't do a good job of getting rid of the bodies that well and also burning um, documents and they found out one of them was American, so they still ship them through the um, documents so it seemed like you know we might have some in the next coming months uh approved that maybe we might have had some um maybe some western intelligence people down there, but look like abzo probably given the order to kill them you know my uh, uh my last comment is this uh this is my opinion, my political opinion Trump should one run, run for. 2024 elections because he he was basically baptized by fire and he kind of knows the ins and outs now what the do's and don'ts now is his 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 um VP pricks is four people in my opinion he should pick because they kind of know what's going on and we also heard from them on geopolitical situations as well his first person should be Colonel McGregor his his second person should be Ryan Paul third. Um, uh, Kelsey Galbert and Fort Tucker, Carson. Uh, I picked those four. Now I've been I be understanding people been trying to get Ron DeSantis to run for president or vice president. But my, 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 but my suspensions with him is I don't really know too much about his geopolitical views. I don't know if he'll be somebody be easily manipulated into a war. You know what I'm saying? Because if he get in there, you never know. Steve Bannon and Mike Papayo might send people around him to manipulate him. Trump knows battle now, how he was manipulated. If he gets somebody in there like... Now,
0: let me interrupt you for one second. Why do you say Trump knows better? What proof do you have that Trump knows better? If you're saying he should know better, I agree with you. But Um, offer some bit of evidence that indicates Trump does know better.
6: Well, okay. Well, I'm going I'm to I'm I'm step back. I'm going to clarify that. He should, he should know better. You're right, Lee. Thanks for putting that out there. He should know better. But a month ago, he did say something about Ukraine that he should, he, you know, he would talk with them, you know, in the Russia's meaning that he's leaning towards peace. You know what I'm saying? And he kind of gave that um, signal to the GOP about that. You know what I'm saying? So... That's my opinion. He, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that word. He should know better, you know. But if he have McGregor with him, Colonel McGregor, Colonel McGregor have his back on Ryan Paul, either one. That's my opinion.
0: No, I, I, in a dream scenario, but he's more likely to nominate Mike Pompeo for VP than he is Tucker Carlson or Chelsea Gabbard. That's my concern. I see no indication he's learned a damn thing, and Trump's did his job he got the ball over the line with supreme court anyone who's a critic of anyone who's a never trumper the supreme court decisions prove that they were wrong do you agree with that carmine absolutely 202 let's go to brave and land hey brave what's on your mind
6: what's going on guys i guess it's my day to disagree with the people i typically agree with but i just gotta disagree with everything here <laughs> going on um I, I will say that um I think that uh I know there's enough time to get into a, a argument or debate, right? But I will say that um Scott Ritter segment was awesome and also Tulsi uh Tulsi Gabbard got Tulsi on the brain.
4: Um Tim Iverson did a uh don't we, all. don't we all have Tulsi on the brain.
6: We do, yes we do. <laughs> Rightfully so. <laughs> um <laughs> Kim Iverson did a, uh, a a video on Rising, uh, her radar video, um, covering the hypocrisy of of uh, both groups on its whole pro-life, right choice life, and I would advise that everybody go and check it out. It was re- it was really good. It was really thorough, and it really draws that line as far as where the hypocrisies are in these arguments and how one side could typically only see their side of the argument. And I'll leave it at that because I um I don't really know. There's enough time to get into debates back and forth, and I, g- I generally agree with both our killer and uh, Therese. So I don't want to disagree with him today.
0: Nice job, not a- not disagreeing. Brave. Anything else you want to say?
6: Uh that's it, man. Just enjoying the show.
0: Okay, brave. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. So I think that I was thinking about this war, the Ukraine Russia war. I'm not seeing anybody. And tell me if you see anybody, Carmine, show me somebody who gets Russia-Ukraine wrong, but they're right on a whole host of other issues. I think being wrong on Ukraine, and it's because Ukraine's, forget the Nazi thing, even though it's true and provable. Let's start here. Everybody, even allies of Ukraine, even fans of Ukraine, agrees that's one of the most corrupt countries out there. Do you, have you seen that, Carmine? Yeah, absolutely. Agree with Ukraine's I mean,
2: uh, didn't Joe Biden have somebody fired because they're such a corrupt country?
0: Right. So it's a completely corrupt country. And that's not like they're a victim of corruption. <laughs> There's a reason it's a corrupt country. It's a criminal country. you see what I'm saying? The fact that it's a corrupt why country. Do all politicians, why do you think all the politicians
2: care so much about it, Lee? They all got money there.
0: That's right. And these people get Ukraine wrong. I think what's needed is a politician to have the cojones to step up and say, we need to rethink Everything we're doing with Russia, well, that politician and look exists. Paul, right and even he won't quite go that far. True, because he doesn't want to be called pro-Putin. I, I'm waiting for some politician to go. Wait, let's really examine what we think we know about Russia, and question the media narrative on them. Because it's pushed by these same people. And I think A lot of us- that's the key. Go ahead, Garmin. A lot of us
2: are in that position, though, where you're afraid to say anything that's realistic because, oh, you're, you're pro-Russia, you're pro-Putin, you hate America.
0: You Well, of course, I've been dealing with that for years. And it's easy for me because I don't hate America. And it's just that simple. And uh, I don't like what the country's become but we've become this because of people who are wrong on Ukraine and all the issues involved with it Ukraine is fighting for the New World Order, right? Oh, 100%. 100%. Man,
2: Let's Zelensky a is sh- a New World Order puppet.
0: Right, and, and part of that New World Order agenda is open bars and free immigration no sovereignty for countries but only
2: in america
0: and we'll right that's part of their the agenda right
2: but only in the west
0: yes and plenty in the west let's take a short break and when we come back we'll talk to andrew arthur from the center for immigration studies coming up next on the backstory <laughs> We are back on The Backstory on 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Joining us now, one of our favorite guests, especially a very smart guy, former judge on the topic of immigration from the Center for Immigration Studies. Welcome to the show, Andrew Arthur. Hey, Andrew, how you doing?
7: Hey, I'm doing fine, and thank you for having me today.
0: So really appreciate you being on now because you're a former judge and this is a slightly technical topic. Talk about what's happening with the Biden administration and immigration judges. First off, before you explain what the Biden administration is up to and a possible purge of immigration judges, talk about how immigration judges why they're important and the place they have in our justice system?
7: Absolutely. A couple things to keep in mind. First, immigration judges are real judges. Congress has said that. But they're not in Article III uh, courts, uh, courts established under the Constitution. Rather, they're administrative courts. And immigration judges are lawyers who are appointed by the attorney general to adjudicate uh, immigration cases by law. The attorney general is the ultimate arbiter of all immigration questions, at least at the administrative level. But with 1.6 million cases and just one uh, attorney general, the job would be impossible to do without help. And for that reason, uh, the attorney general uh, has hired about 590 immigration judges or uh, 590 been um, hired over the last few years to adjudicate cases involving aliens who are uh, alleged by uh, ICE and DHS to be removable from the United States and also to adjudicate any applications for immigration benefits or relief that those individuals may have. Again, there are 1.6 million cases and 590 immigration judges, so it's a full-time job uh, for them to adjudicate those decisions. Again, probably about three-quarters of all immigration ju- uh, cases are completed by immigration judges without any further review. No uh, appeal to the Board of Immigration, appeals to another administrative body, and no review by the circuit court. So, you know, in the vast majority of cases, immigration judges make the final call as whether somebody's removable, whether they're going to be granted asylum, whether they're going to get green cards, things like that. So they play uh, a key role in the immigration system, and, you know, for what it's worth, Uh, They're pretty amply rewarded. They make more than $180,000 a year at the top level. It's pretty easy to get to that top level fairly quickly. Uh, Generally, uh, because they are employees within the Department of Justice, are also protected uh, by various employment rules uh, that apply. So, um, you know, in most cases, uh you can do the job for years. I retired after about eight years to go back to Capitol Hill at the request of uh of House leadership. But uh, you know, many of my colleagues serve in that job for twenty, thirty, forty years uh before uh, ever leaving the bench.
0: But I imagine with, with such a full docket, you say nearly six hundred judges and what, a million cases?
7: One point six million cases.
0: So it was low by a lot. I
7: uh, know yeah, it's a it's a volume business, and in the eight years that I was on the bench, I decided uh, somewhere just short of fourteen thousand, you know, cases as a final matter, and I probably heard an additional twenty thousand bond requests during that time. So, you know, just to give you an idea, you know, the average, I think the Supreme Court this year will issue about 66, 67 decisions. Uh, you know, I was ordering that many, you know, within a three or four day period. So, yeah, it's, it's a busy job. Let's just put it that way.
0: Now, so what's the Biden administration doing with immigration judges? Obviously, it's a powerful position within the immigration system. But what, how's the Biden administration trying to tip its scales? Or do you think they are, that's fair?
7: Well, the the Washington Times reported that at least six immigration judges who had been hired under the Trump administration have been fired and they suggest the DOJ is using political and uh, ideological litmus tests when it comes to appointing new immigration judges every new immigration judge has a 2-year probationary period during which uh, or you know at any point during which up to that 2-year period they can be fired for will. And so it appears that the judges that uh, the Washington Times is referring to are judges who have not completed that probationary period, uh, but are facing uh, termination or have been terminated. It's important to note that there were uh, a handful of immigration judges appointed under the Trump or under the Bush administration, George W. Bush administration, who were uh, let go. Uh, at the end of their probationary period by the Obama administration, but it was the exception. I was appointed under the Bush administration. I was pretty straightforward uh, hire, though, because, you know, I had plenty of experience on the Hill and as an INS trial attorney, associate general counsel. But um, there were a handful that were let go then. Under the Trump administration, I have no recollection of any uh, judge appointed under the Obama administration who was fired. In fact, uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions did his best, uh, as did his successors, to hire as many immigration judges as possible to try to get a handle on that, you know, massive backlog of cases in the immigration courts. And uh, you know, the Biden administration contends that one of the reasons why it has to limit the number of cases, uh, the number of aliens who are in proceedings, uh, and the number of people that's trying to remove is because there's so few judges in so many cases. So, you know, that sort of, you know, calls into question the idea that, you know, these six or however many there are were fired because of, you know, some issue. I don't know that any of these individuals have engaged in misconduct, but, of course, it's a personnel matter. I wouldn't know that anyway unless they come forward with it. So, you know, the whole thing, you know, sounds a little funny. And in previous years, when allegations of this sort were made, you know, under the George W. Bush administration, there were allegations that there were political hires. Uh, And then under the Trump administration, there were allegations that certain people who had been appointed but hadn't taken uh, the the bench yet uh, were, uh, you know, had their their, uh, hiring decisions pulled back by the Trump administration. So, in the uh, Bush administration, uh, point it became a huge issue uh, with a Democratic-controlled Congress because they were, you know, uh, you know, it utilized many resources to get to the bottom of what was going on with respect to the allegations against the Trump administration. The Inspector General for the Department of Justice recently completed his investigation of those allegations and found that they were unfounded. He found that there were, you know, some things that they could be doing better, paperwork, you know, uh, keeping a paper trail, you know, uh, recording what exactly happened, but, uh, you know, did not find that there was anything that was illegal or untoward uh, in what the Trump administration had done. So, you know, we really don't want to get to a situation, Lee, where, you know, judges are hired you know, in the last year, year and a half of one administration and the next administration just comes in and, and knocks them out. And certainly, as I noted before, immigration judges are protected by, uh, you know, employment rules and that includes even those judges in that probationary period. So I anticipate that, you know, Republicans in Congress are probably going to ask uh, the OIG to investigate these allegations. Um, And to issue a report, assuming that, you know, a Republican-led Congress in the 118th, that the Republicans take control of water, both chambers, won't launch their own investigation into all of this.
0: Now, Andrew, am I paranoid if I say that I think part of what the Democrats are doing is trying to get the system so hopelessly broken that the only way to solve some of the problems seems to be to clear the decks and issue a mass amnesty. Is that paranoid thinking on my part, or have you ever shared those suspicions?
7: And you know, it it is interestingly, part of the problem with the Biden administration is that there's a lack of transparency as to why it does anything. Um, For example, at the border, every administration in history, up to the current one, had a policy of deterring illegal migrants from entering the United States. Even the uh, Obama administration had a policy like that, and they got sued in federal court over in California about it. But the Biden administration doesn't have any deterrent strategy at all. Rather, what they want to do is they want to uh, make it as easy as possible for everybody who shows up illegally at the southwest border to apply for asylum, whether those people have asked for asylum or not. Um, so, you know, that's a break from what's happened in the past. We definitely see large numbers of criminal aliens in the United States who uh, the Biden administration has specifically told ICE officers not to go after. In fact, that was the subject of a lawsuit in Texas and an order that was issued by a judge there vacating uh, the directive that the Biden administration had issued. The Biden administration taken that on appeal, but the Fifth Circuit hasn't acted. So it actually took effect on Saturday, um, you know, to block uh, that particular memorandum, that non-enforcement memorandum that they had issued. So why they're doing these things, I don't know. But The problem when you don't have sunlight is uh, that, you know, uh, you, you have to— come up with some explanation for why the administration is doing something or not doing something. Uh, And, you know, I personally don't like to ascribe the base motives or, you know, improper motives uh, to any governmental action. If I'm given the choice between, you know, uh, uh, negligence and nonfeasance, I normally go on the negligence side. But nothing really explains any of these things that the Biden administration is doing. So, yeah, I mean, it's reasonable to conclude that the Biden administration is deliberately breaking the system so that it can then, you know, force concessions out of Congress to, uh, you know, grant some sort of amnesty to these people so that they can remain here indefinitely. But, you know, I haven't seen any sort of proposal from the Biden administration to fix any of this. So, I mean, it could be four years. It could be to the next administration. You know, if it takes uh, if a different administration takes power in 2024, takes power in 2028 to take that long before the border is fixed, before the immigration laws are enforced and before all of this settles down, whether the American people have the appetite or the patience uh, to wait that long. It's a different issue. So uh, a Republican Congress could easily starve the administration for funding to force it to actually enforce the laws. Um, but again, that you know assumes that there is going to be Republican control of either the House or the Senate after the uh, 2022 midterm elections.
0: And I guess so, Carmen Xavier, do you have any question to Andrew Arthur on the subject of immigration?
2: Uh, no, I think that I think it's a safe assumption, though, that Republicans are going to take control. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head. I I know you say you like to uh, basically think they're just stupid. It, let's put it in layman's terms that they're just stupid. But I, I, I disagree. I think I think it is malicious. and There's malicious intent.
7: Yeah. And again, you know, you know, that, that does raise the important uh, question. You know, I served under uh, administrations from George H.W. Bush. Uh, all the way up to Barack Obama when I, you know, went back to Congress uh, for a second helping of abuse on Capitol Hill. Um, And, you know, every one of those uh, administrations had a policy of enforcing the law. They may not have liked it. Certainly the uh, Clinton administration uh, didn't like enforcing the laws. And I, you know, advised uh, then Attorney General Janet Reno directly in that administration But they did actually enforce the laws. They carried out the laws that Congress had, you know, put on the books. That's a crucial part of our, you know, uh, three-branch system. Uh, You know, Congress writes the laws. And when it comes to immigration, you know, Congress has almost complete control. Uh, You know, the Supreme Court has said for more than 100 years that when it comes to the issue of who is allowed to enter the United States, uh, Congress, you know, uh, has almost, you know, exclusive authority to make that determination. And it's up to the executive branch to, um, you know, carry out those laws. Part of uh, what, you know, then candidate Joe Biden uh, alleged um, fallaciously on the campaign trail was that the Trump administration, you know, was, was cruel or mean or exceeding its authority. But in reality, if you look at the numbers, Uh, You know, other than the last two years of the Obama administration, uh, President Obama removed more aliens from the United States uh, every year than President Trump did in any year. Also, the number of aliens who showed up at the Southwest border illegally was lower in almost every year, I think every year, um, under Obama than it was in any year other than 2017 under Trump. But nonetheless, a, um, you know, slightly uh, less than curious, uh, you know, mainstream media accepted these allegations uh, that Biden had made about Trump at face value. You know, it swallowed this lie that somehow, you know, Trump was transgressing laws. That was aided and abetted, of course, by the fact that any time Trump took any action on immigration, that a... a, uh, cohort of states would rush in to sue in, in, uh, you know, friendly fora to block those actions. And, you know, many of those actions were blocked, and many of them ultimately went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court was like, no, cut it out. You know, the the, uh, administration has the authority to do this, uh, you know, so you have to let them. Now, the one area that the Trump administration was actually blocked uh, by the Supreme Court was Uh, with respect to Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA. Back in, you know, 2011, 2012, you know, Obama tried to work through Congress to get some sort of amnesty, but he wasn't able to. And he contended that he didn't have the authority to do that administratively, but then he turned around and did that for a group of, uh, you know, aliens who had been brought to the United States as children. One of the things that you'll hear is that they were still children, but some of those people were in their 30s by the time um, Obama's order took effect in DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. So the Trump administration, you know, uh, candidate Trump railed against DACA, railed against this, you know, uh, extra, you know, executive use of power uh, and you know, decided to unwind uh, DACA, and that went all the way through the courts, various uh, district courts, through at least two circuit courts, and made its way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court issued a decision in which the University of California was the uh, plaintiff, and the Department of Homeland Security was the defendant. A uh, case called Regents versus DHS. Regents, of the University of California, again being the the plaintiffs. And in Regents, the Supreme Court said, no, the Trump administration can't simply undo DACA. It may not have been legal to begin with, but it can't simply undo it without going through notice and comment rulemaking and considering, you know, all of the um, expectations that the various parties, the states, and the uh, the aliens themselves had in the continuation of the DACA program. So the interesting thing is that that decision in regions has actually become one of the main decisions, one of the main precedents that courts have used under Biden to block Biden
2: administration proposals. Now, real quick, I, I support DACA. I support DACA, and I'll tell you why. If a kid comes here five years old from Mexico, wherever, and now they're 30, this is the only country they've ever known, really, in reality. It'd be like almost deporting an American. I understand that they're not legal, but it seems to me at that point cruel. Am I wrong?
7: Yeah, no, I, you know, a couple of things just to to add on to that, you know, people were eligible for DACA benefits, uh, you know, up to the age of 15. So, you know, many of those kids uh, you know, knew life back home. Certainly, when I was 15 years old, I thought I knew everything about life myself. So, you know, many of those kids knew life back home and knew how to speak the language back home. Uh, and two, uh, you know, DACA was followed by an attempted uh, movement, an attempted executive order called DAPA, Deferred Action for Parents of American Citizens and uh,
2: Lawful Permanent Residents. Would, wanted to give, but that's how what they always do. it. They start with something reasonable, and then they stretch it. Yeah, no, and they, they stretched it, and the Fifth Circuit uh,
7: under Obama actually stopped that one from ever taking effect. But, yeah, I mean, it's that sort of, you know, slippery slope that you start to run into when you have, you know, a very sympathetic group of uh of individuals, and then you try to, you know, stretch to a slightly less sympathetic group of individuals. But even President Trump said, look, if the courts end up ending DACA, you know, Congress is going to act and I'm going to sign a bill that is going to give them benefits. His problem wasn't with, you know, allowing those people to remain in the United States. His problem was that it was, you know, it exceeded the executive branch's authority under the law to allow them to remain here. These were people that are facially removable from the United States. And again, some of them are adults. You know, they could have gone home when they were 18. They could have changed their status to something else, but they didn't. Um, you know, they remained in this country in unlawful status. So, yeah, I mean, the, the you know, the DACA population is sympathetic, but part of the reason why various DREAM acts, uh, which are, you know, the Bill's that have been uh, kicking around since 2000 to grant benefits to these people, to grant them statuses, because many of the proponents of those dream acts and many, you know, Democrats and more than a few Republicans don't really just want to grant amnesty to that very deserving group of kids. They want to use this as the camel's nose under the tent that they will then, uh, you know, employ as a vehicle to grant amnesty to, you know, the vast majority of 11 point some million people uh, who are here in violation of the law. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if it were just limited to the uh, DACA population and if in exchange, uh, you know, Congress were willing to beef up the immigration enforcement provisions, it would be a fair trade-off. Even, you know, I and, you know, my boss, Mark Recorin at the Center for Immigration Studies, have said, you know, they're, this is a reasonable population to grant status to. But it never ends up being just that population of people.
2: Plus, you're in us well, let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about abortion, safe, legal, and rare to day before birth. Let's talk about we want gay marriage to—oh, we're, we're going to bring your kids to this drag strip show. At a bar after hours. It never stops where they say it's going to.
7: Yeah, and, you know, that is one of the, you know, again, I'm an immigration guy, and I try to stay in my swim lane as much as possible. But many conservatives I hear make exactly, you know, that argument, and DACA is a prime example of it. Donald Trump literally was willing to grant DACA benefits or Dream Act benefits to 1.8 million people. The present time, fewer than 700,000 people actually have DACA benefits. So he was willing to extend that by 1.1 million, so long as it was just that group of people. And so long as we got some improvements, uh, you know, in border security and uh, immigration, internal enforcement, and, you know, it, because it's Donald Trump, he also wanted money for the wall. And yet the Democrats told him to go pound sand. They blocked efforts to actually grant benefits to that 1.8 million people and said they weren't even going to consider it, which tells you, you know, what they really, you know, had in mind. What they really had in mind wasn't those kids. You know, they want something much more. But, you know, as noted, I spent eight years on Capitol Hill and I you know spent it under some pretty savvy people. They knew that you, you know, you you gained on an issue 20 yards at a time. You didn't throw a Hail Mary pass and score a touchdown because you were never going to get there. And again, we see many of these attempts to expand on these various uh, precedents uh, to a point that they're no longer acceptable to the American people. And yeah, that is That is an issue, uh, but you know it's also one that conservatives uh, have been, you know, less than vigorous in pushing back on it for various years. Various years, so you know, to a degree, many of those, you know, so-called conservative, uh, absolutely, have been, uh, you know, culpable in, you know, the um, advance of things that really aren't, you know, where the American people are, or you know, where they ever will be.
0: Now, Andrew Arthur, of course, we've heard of many towns. A lot of them on the West Coast, for instance, that became sanctuary cities as a way of, it seems, encouraging illegal immigration. Do you see anything that cities or towns, have you heard of anything to become sort of anti-sanctuary cities? Is there anything people can do on a local level that you've seen that works to discourage illegal immigration? Andrew? Absolutely,
7: yeah. Texas actually passed uh, an anti-sanctuary city law that, you know, directed police to cooperate with uh, ICE enforcement. In fact, Lee, you bring up a very good point, a very timely one with respect to this conversation. Um, And, you know, the various plaintiffs moved to block that uh, anti-sanctuary legislation unsuccessfully, and so that's taken effect. And in, uh, you know, the recent uh, decision, the one by Judge Tipton out of Texas to block uh, the uh, Biden administration's non-enforcement policies, one of the probably the strongest point that the states made was, look. You know, we want these criminals off of our streets. We don't want them in our communities. And it costs us money to have to detain them every time they show up. And a lot of these people become recidivists. About uh, 80% of all criminals will, you know, commit another crime within four years. And, you know, it goes up from one year, two years, three years. But by four years, it's about eight and ten who go on to offend again. And Judge Tipton said, yeah, that's absolutely right, because the Biden administration isn't picking up these criminal aliens that it's required by law to pick up. They're back out on the streets. They're back in Texas jails. Uh, They're back offending. They're back, you know, uh, uh, know, uh, harming the community. And, you know, you need to pick these people up because Congress told you to pick them up for exactly the reasons that uh, Texas is complaining about. So yeah Florida's the same uh way you know Florida uh attempted to pass an anti sanctuary bill that was you know blocked by you know one single district court judge, and that's up on appeals to the Court of Appeals for the Eleventh Circuit and they're probably going to roll back you know that judge's order. The judge alleged that you know all of this is based on you know improper motives, but you know the argument that she laid out was pretty thin um and so you know uh Ron DeSantis and the, the Florida legislature, you know, wants to ensure that the streets of Florida are safe, that the communities in Florida are safe. And, you know, it, it, this is one of those things where, you know, most Americans aren't ever affected by uh, alien criminality because most of those people live in, yeah, in immigrant communities. And, you know, they look for their victims in those immigrant communities, you know, people who really, you know, have the the you know the least ability to protect themselves are the ones who are most adversely affected. So you know both uh, you know Governor Greg Abbott in Texas and the Texas Legislature and Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida and you know the folks in Tallahassee you know are working to roll back this sanctuary impetus. It's important to note also that most of these sanctuary laws didn't take effect under the mean evil. Uh, ruthless Trump administration, They took place in 2014 under the Obama administration. And to a degree, the Obama administration, you know, let this happen because it didn't challenge these sanctuary policies in federal court. You know, it basically just called it in uh, and threw the fight. And by the time that the Trump administration rolled around, you know, it, you had a lot of bad case law that it was working for. So one of the things that Congress is going to have to do once, you know, some sense of immigration enforcement order is restored is to make it clear in the law that local law enforcement doesn't have the right to make its own immigration policy. The Supreme Court's already said. Uh, local jurisdictions don't have the ability to enforce the immigration laws. The flip side of that is they also don't have the ability to block the enforcement of the immigration laws, which is what they're doing right now.
0: And great appearance as always, Andrew Arthur. Thanks so much. You can check out his work at cis.org. Is that correct?
7: That is correct, Lee. And thank you for having me today.
0: Yeah, great, great conversation. And again, we're on a bastion of free speech and open debate here. Great co hosting. Carmine Sabia, as usual. Thank you, sir. On Carmine Monday. And we appreciate Scott Ritter in the first hour. We'll be back tomorrow with more great conversation. And by the way, thank you for all the callers. And Carmine, take us out with your gravelly voice. Go ahead.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to us. Catch us again tomorrow here on The Backstory.